Good morning. We are in this series on uh, the book of Samuel. We're ending the near the the end of First Samuel, and uh, David is on the run. He is being brought into conflict with Israel's first king, Saul, and David, the anointed uh, next king, is nowhere near power. It seems he is hiding in caves and. Uh, at this point, we're, we're jumping into chapter 28 and, and 27. He's actually gone to live with the enemies of Israel because he, no, he has no place amongst the people of Israel. And he helps, lead, helps them lead raids against other people. And it's, it's just a confusing, tangled web that David finds himself in the middle of. Chapter 28 will we'll jump back and to look again at Saul. Saul is sliding further and further into madness. And Saul knows that that David is out there, a very competent and capable warrior who is increasingly popular in Israel. And he's afraid. He wants a word of how he might deal with Israel's enemies. And so Saul's Solution is to find the guy who helped put him in the throne, is to find Samuel. The problem is, Samuel is dead. Um, so he might know exactly where Samuel is, but Samuel isn't in a talking mood. However, Saul decides to go find someone who will help him talk to dead Samuel. He goes to see this woman called the Witch of Endor which Star Wars fans always love. It's their favorite part of the Bible. If you're not laughing, you haven't watched Star Wars and you need to catch up. (laughs) So we're going to read at 28, starting at verse 12. And we're going to skip a little bit. This woman is is known as what's called a medium. Um, I mean, you see that word in your Bible and you're not sure what a medium is. It's... It's this person who tries to stand between the living and the dead and help living people talk to dead people, which don't do that. That's bad. The Bible is very clear. This is a bad idea. Saul is fine with bad ideas. So he goes to this woman, gives, she is basically saying, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, medium, this is, I would never do such a thing. And Saul's like, it's fine, you're not going to be punished, I'm not going to kill you, because he's previously, when he was on God's side, had tried to kick all mediums out. And she says, okay, let's do the medium thing. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, who again is dead, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. He'd come to her in disguise. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. 
And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to give you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with it, will be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul is understandably distressed by this, um, and he seeks to be comforted by this witch, or she seeks to comfort him. Verse 22, now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth, and he sat on his bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. She put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And they rose and went away that night. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to your people. We thank you that we do not have to be in the position that Saul was in where we say the Lord will not speak to me. Here we have your word, God. We pray that our ears would be open to hear it, that our heart would be soft to receive it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to get a glimpse of you, to see you clearly, and to love you more deeply. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. This is, uh, this is undoubtedly one of the stranger stories in the Bible. Um, lots of people for all of time have been fascinated with the idea of trying to talk to the dead. And very clearly, God says, don't do this. Let the dead be dead and the living be living. And yet here we have Saul seeking to hear from the prophet going to do this thing. And this woman, this witch of Endor, somehow surprisingly is able to do exactly what should not happen. People have wondered, like, is this fake? Is, it, is this a demon that is supposed to look like Samuel? And the text just doesn't give any indication that that's what's happening. It really seems like this witch does her thing and Samuel actually appears. Um, we have a couple of indications to believe that's true. One, the text just says it's Samuel. And the second being the things that he communicates to them is just the word of the Lord. He's actually speaking what God wants to do. Now, this is not the ordinary order of operations. We have to remember that when we read uh, the Bible, just because some, the Bible reports something happening doesn't mean the Bible condones what is happening because the Bible will tell us lots of things that people do and they're really bad and you shouldn't copy them. This is in that category. Don't do this. Um, just Ouija boards, that whole gamut, just no. Don't touch, don't do that. Um, just to be very clear on that one. If you have any questions about that, you can come talk to me. The answer is no, just don't do that. 
Um, but Saul does do it because he's desperate to hear from this one person that he knows will tell him the truth. And Samuel is, is been dead. And Samuel, I love the image, Samuel appears to him and says, why, why are you bothering me? <laughs> like, I'm busy doing whatever dead prophets do. And he says, why, why are you bothering me? And why is there a question about what's going to happen? I've already told you before what's going to happen. God is ripping the kingdom out of your hands. He kind of gives him his death notice. You know, soon you're going to be like me. You and your sons are going to be like me. And Saul is, is bereft. He falls on his face. And he's grieving. And he's been fasting, and he has to basically be force-fed this meal. And they have this meal of, of lamb and unleavened bread. Saul is in the position that a lot of people find themselves in, uh, in their life, where they're desperate to hear from God. Saul has a problem, though. Saul is being judged. And God will not speak to him. God will not send a prophet and will not send any other means of communicating with him. They even have these things, the umim and the thumim. We don't even know what they are, these stones that Israel has to help discern the will of God, and not even those, those stones will work for him. It's just silence. And Saul is terrified. Saul is terrified, and he's rightly terrified. Because in this silence, he hears the judgment of God against him. And this is, you can, as you read this chapter, you can sort of feel the culmination of what's been happening with him and with all of his paranoia and all of his fear of having the kingdom taken away. And in this moment, he's just this panicky mess cannot hear from God by any means. Now, Saul seems to have this view of God that many of us naturally take, <clears throat> which is that if we do the right things and say the right words and we perform the right actions, we can somehow provoke a response out of God. And usually we, we believe, we want to believe that we can even control the, the response that we get out of God. As if God is somehow sitting in heaven with these many levers and buttons, and if we can figure out the right combination of pushing and pulling, we can provoke God, the heavenly robot slot machine, to give us what we want. And of course, we would never actually describe it that way. We would never say we actually view that, that God that way. But in our behavior and our beliefs, and the way that we feel towards God, we, in a sense, we do believe that way. You know, how many of us have, have had something happen to us or not happen for us, and we've just believed, well, I must not have done the dance the right way, and I did not get the response that, let me just, you know, undo, redo, and if I can figure out the right sequence of prayers and behaviors, then God will give me what I want. Witchcraft is inherently feeding into this view of God. Witchcraft is 
Not about, you know, just wanting to have super secret potions to get what you want or something like that. The, the real heart of witchcraft seems to be that it reduces spiritual life and spiritual power towards a mechanism that you can control. That is the heart of what is deeply, deeply offensive to God about witchcraft. You can control how you are treated by the spiritual world. That's why it's also so alluring. Because control is, is what we crave. We desire to have this incredibly predictable, controllable, containable element of our lives rooted in spirituality. Saul goes to one of these people so that he might himself solve the problem of God speaking to him. But why is Saul being judged with this silence and ultimately with being stripped of the kingdom? Is something, is something wrong with God? That God? Is like God in a bad mood that, that Saul needs to accommodate? Is, is, is God hiding somewhere that he's actually asking Saul to come find him and go through the right steps. Saul is being judged because Saul has a problem. Saul is being judged because his heart will not submit to a God who is there not for his own controllable pleasure but as the actual and in reality king over heaven and earth. Saul is the problem. But what is Saul doing? Trying to find a solution to the problem outside of repentance. Now this is important to remember because we're going to see glimpses of David as king and he also will have problems that are also about him and his own heart. And David's response to his sin will be contrasted to Saul because David will immediately and fully own up to the extent of the problem, which is him. Saul is viewing this as some sort of mysterious spiritual treasure hunt. If I might just figure out how to sneak the answer out of God. And what is the message that Saul receives? The message he has already received. Samuel just pops up and says, same answer, bro. Like, same thing is going to happen. I already told you this. Because God is not the one who has changed. God is not the changeable one. And he has, in fact, not been mysterious with Saul. He has been very clear with Saul. It's just that Saul never liked what God told him. See, this is, this is often how we want to communicate with God as well. We, we want there to be some... Uh, magical, mystical element of God that maybe if we do things the right way we'll get new information or, or information we like better or an experience we like better. 
It's, it is a good thing to, to want to hear from God. It is a good thing to want to know what God's will is for you. And yet, many times, most of us, all of us, turn away from the exact way in which God wants to communicate with you. Your Bible will often stay closed in the moments when you most definitely need it to be open. Saul had already received a word from God. He should know what God thinks at this point. But he's ignored it because he wants a different answer. How often do you and I do the exact same thing? Oh, I wish what God would just tell me what to do with my marriage or my dating relationship or my work relationships. There's a good chance that he has already told you what you should do. It's, it's in your Bible. Now, it may not be as specifically applied, and I'm not saying you should never get the help of community or that the Spirit doesn't apply those things personally and clearly at times. But a lot of times we're doing what Saul does and turning away from the very clear, already established revelation of God in pursuit of something that is more mystical or more exciting or, or maybe even to, for some of us more controllable. If I could get the right kind of warm, tingly experience, then maybe God would tell me something different. One of the themes of, of 1 Samuel, though, is that God is not like a man. He's not. And as much as we may want him to be like us, then you might want to just shake things up sometimes. One of the remarkable things about God is that he is consistent in his character. He's consistent. And so when we read his word in Scripture, you may not be hearing all of the precise answers to every single question that you can throw. I mean, I don't think that the Bible is going to help you discern your salad toppings. But you become increasingly familiar with and accustomed to the character and the person of God. And when you are ever at sea, when you ever lost on what you should do in this world, Scripture should be one of the first places that you go to be reminded of God's character. Because it will never, ever, ever change. Of course, the, the, the thing is that, that we are so much like Saul, though. We are bad listeners. And our memory is short. And it is incredibly tempting to go seeking out new experiences to try to assure us that maybe we can do what we want to do and not receive consequences like we know we should. Saul's solution was to go talk to the dead. And what we'll see as the story of Scripture progresses is it's not a there's some element of what he wants that is a good idea. What he wants is clarity in this life from the perspective of someone on the other side. That's not a terrible idea. 
Because the, the thought is that when you're dead, probably things come into clear focus. The way that things should have been in this life. So to stand in this life and to talk to somebody in that life, there is some piece of that that is, that is a good desire. But of course, God will say that the person that you should talk to on the other side of life is not somebody who is dead, but is somebody who has trampled over death. Saul will fail this test as he fails every single test. But God has not cut off his people from hearing from the clearest and truest perspective of the way that life should be. We are not isolated on this side of the grave left to wonder what we might learn on the other side of the grave. Because in Jesus... God makes clear that he has pioneered a way through sin and death so that we might have somebody who perpetually stands to hear from us and who says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is no need for witchcraft or necromancy or a medium so that some relative or wise person or some random genius might rise up like a god from the dead and tell you what you should do because the writers of the New Testament will say the Jesus who conquered the grave is a better and clearer voice to you and he is not forever isolated from you but instead stands at your hand and also somehow at the right hand of God forever making intercession for you. And so you don't have to worry anymore that you might somehow find your way into a place where God would be silent towards you and leave you to your own devices grasping for the whisperings of ghosts. Instead, you are able to be indwelled by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Jesus himself. We do not have to be worried that we will be cast off into judgment anymore. Though you and I can see ourselves in Saul, over and over and over again, Saul has acted in such a way that at face seems insane, and yet some part of us says, but maybe I'm a little insane. He's alarmingly like us. And here our paths diverge, or at least they might. God is now for his people never the silent God. John will say in his gospel that in the beginning the Word was with God and the Word was God. He is the speaking God towards us forever speaking and being with us. When you are afraid, you are in the midst of the chaos of your life and maybe even bound up in the paranoia that you might live in. You do not have to pull out some strange means of discerning what God might say to you. You have, thankfully, the clarity of his word 
But Jesus says, even better, you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The God who stands over and above and on the other side of the grave does not need to be conjured for you by some witch or a medium, but pledges himself to you. How often do you and I as as Christians, if you are one, dwell upon and celebrate the fact that the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you? The power of the broken grave is somehow dwelling in His people. The Holy Spirit is, is not a minor point that we celebrate some weird quirk of Christian theology. Jesus says to his disciples, it is better for you that I go. Think about that. Jesus raises people from the dead, teaches them the best things that have ever been taught, and says, it is better for you that I should go, because then the Comforter will come. Saul is isolated in the silent judgment of God, and because of the resurrected Lord Jesus, we might forever have God with us. Do you still treat God as if he is some strange machine in the sky that you must figure out the codes to? Do you still seek to control and manipulate God? Do you give in to that natural craving again and again? If if you do, the cross stands before you to remind you God is not the way that you would anticipate He is. And He is in fact very, very much better. Do you live in a world trying to hear the voice of God, hoping that there is something out there, grasping for any kind of whisper from the beyond, hoping that somebody will give you direction. This this is still the Easter season in the church. Might I remind you that Jesus is the resurrected Lord Jesus who has gone to the grave and back so that you would never, ever be afraid And that you would always know that God is coming from that scary silent beyond to come gather up his people. Jesus is far better than we could have hoped for. He is the kind of king that Saul never could be. And he is the king that will forever and ever always be with and rescue his people. And we are the people who forever live in gratitude. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to hope that we hear from some dead prophet, but instead we look to you as the resurrected Lord who has conquered death and has given to us a better meal. You have spoken a better word and seated us at your table. And instead of eating this disappointing meal that Saul would eat, you sit us at your table. We could forever take and eat. God, I pray for all of those who are here 
that we would all be reminded of your goodness and grace. That though we often act like paranoid, delusional little kings, you gently bring us into the truth and the blessing of God because of your mercy that you communicated to us again and again. Father, I pray that you would deliver us over from the powers of darkness that would seek to trick us, convince us that we must find ways to manipulate you, control you. Father, we thank you that your word given to us is true. We can count on you to be faithful to it, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us this morning to see you and believe that just a little more. That that word would sink a little more deeply into our bones. And that we would be people who, even today, might grow to love you just a little more. We do love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. Amen.